All right. So my guest today, Paul, is somebody that I actually got connected with through a mutual friend. And we actually had a chance to have a conversation on another podcast prior to this, uh, which is cool and works out well sometimes because it allows us to have like a little bit of a baseline understanding of each other, which I think then allows us to get deeper into the conversation, deeper into the questioning, the examination, etc. So I think that worked out well. And Paul is somebody who brought the idea of love God um, and love others. Pretty simple concept, but as his kind of strongly held belief and value. Uh, he's obviously a person of faith, as you'll see from his full bio. Um, so we, we dove into it. And, and what I knew from Paul from prior conversation is, A, that he would be super thoughtful um, about why he believes so strongly in that idea, love God and love others. But also, B, he would be super open to examining it, to challenging it, to try to better understand it. And, and that's exactly what happened. So we talked about lots of different aspects of this, trying to understand um, why there's a lot of Christians, or at least some Christians, who who believe in that concept, in that idea of love God, love others, but seem to do a really poor job of practice, practicing it. Um, we talked about why some Christians feel such a compulsion to try to stand up or protect God, and if that's something that actually is needed. We talked about how something like Jesus's message, uh, whatever your view of Jesus, but the message that he, he had was such a beautiful one, but yet elicits such anger and frustration and hate today in so many different directions, sometimes by Christians, sometimes by people against Christians. Um, so we looked at all those things, um, trying to understand them better and really do what we try and do on this show, which is take something that's a strongly held belief um, and try to understand it better in, in the most humble <laughs> but curious way that we can. So big thanks to Paul for being on. And hopefully you guys enjoy the episode. All right, Paul, thanks so much for being here. Really excited to talk to you again. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I like to dive right in with that first question. So I will with uh, the question of what's the value that's most important to you. Yeah, yeah. So I'm going to give an answer that's going to sound like the stereotypical Christian guy answer, mm-hmm. but it's actually not. And I'll explain why. Uh, so, you know, when I thought about this question of what's what do I value most, what immediately popped to my mind is love God, love others, which is like the classic culminating capturing of of what scripture is about and so it sounds like a cliche christian answer a lot of christians might even say that answer the reason i don't think it is cliche is because uh those of us who identify as christian aren't always good at actually living out that value on both ends of the spectrum and so one of the things that drives me and why i feel like that is my value is i am the older i get the more cognizant i am of that not just widely but in my own life and the more intentional i want to be because if i'm staking my life on this idea of there being a god (laughs) of this idea of jesus if i'm staking my life on this but i actually don't live out the value of it i I might i might be a little off track (laughs) so love god love others that's that's the value (laughs) why let's so let's go right into it Why, why do you think there are, I don't want to say so many, because who's to say how many, but there are some yeah. Christians who, you know, I think if you were to talk to them, they would say like, no, no, I, I do believe, I, I believe in what the message is. I believe in Christ and all that, but they don't practice it. What do you think is yeah. at the root of that? Yeah, I think there's there's a lot of things. And at the core is, is humanity. I like just, we as people, <laughs> if there's one thing that, uh, if I had a chance to ask God, why did you put this in people? I think the one thing I would ask about is that little self-preservation bug. And we've all got it in us. There's something within us that wants to protect something, whether it's our life, 
our reputation, our comfort, our security. And I think that's what people in general come up against. You know, somebody has the opportunity to go skydiving and everyone else seems to be having a good time, but that self-preservation bug says, yeah, but if your chute doesn't open, you're dead, right? Like, or a big work opportunity uh, that's that's completely different than you've done before, but you got a secure job and you're like, oh man, like if I leave this, uh, you know. Now for Christians, what's so wild about that is that scripture is filled with examples of God or Jesus inviting the Christian to forgo that. Jesus has the classic examples of, you know, uh, hate your father, hate your mother, hate your children, hate your own life, take up your cross and follow me. Like it's something that sounds very daunting. And because Jesus loved family and loved his family, he wasn't saying to actually hate, but it was this idea of like, you have these natural things that you're going to grab onto. Uh, but if you're serious about following me, are you serious enough that you're willing to forego everything else? And I think for a lot of Christians, we, we want to, like, we are well-intentioned often to want to live a life that honors God, that, that is following in Jesus's footsteps, but then that bill needs to get paid mm -hmm. or that person's looking at us funny, or life just got really hard, or I just came down with a sickness. And suddenly this thing that I said was a value was more as uh, our mutual friend, Jonathan puts it, um, a preference rather than a conviction. You know, and we could believe very strongly about preferences, but there comes a point at which a preference falls flat. A conviction can come against the, the greatest of odds and sometimes persevere. And so I think that the big reason that all that happens, though, is at the end of the day, we're not always cognizant of what our, our big goal and purpose is. And when we're not actually thinking about what is all this for, what is all this after, we can get caught into the little sub goals. So uh, most people wouldn't want to work a grueling job, like a hard, grueling job, right? And the sub goal of comfort, of enjoyment, of feeling valued, of all these things could lead us to say, you know what, forget it, I'm leaving this place. But there may be someone else that's like, uh, I need to set my kids up to be able to afford college. Mm -hmm. And so this is the job that I know will best allow me to have a consistent income. So I'm going to drive, 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 drive. And so that goal will allow them to push through things that the person seeking comfort would have already bowed out. I think for Christians, we say we believe in this idea of an eternity. We say we believe in this idea of a God who is deserving of all glory and honor and obedience and all these things. But in our everyday lives, uh, in my everyday life, it's so often that I see those sub goals more at play than those bigger goals of loving God and loving others, mm. of something beyond me being the purpose. Mm. You know, a lot of it hinges on. So as you said, it's a beautiful answer um, to try and in an empathetic, um, I think, humble way to try and understand why we all fall short in, in different mm -hmm. ways and whatever it is we're doing. In the case for you and, and for Christians, that loving God becomes such the critical aspect of it. Of And by that, I mean what exactly it entails. Because exactly as you're saying, like I, I tend to think of things mathematically just because it's how my mind yeah. thinks. But it's, you know, it's you're weighing it out and you're saying, OK, loving God's important. But maybe on a given day, in a given moment, it's almost as if and this is difficult to say for somebody that's Christian, but this is more important than that. As they're doing that weighing, like 
what what does it mean to love God, right? Like we all yeah. kind of have a sense, we all have a bit of it, but I think that becomes so critical because if you're going to do that above all else, you need to know what exactly it is you're doing. Yeah. What does it mean for you to love yeah. God? Yeah, I'll, I'll say that little side thing because if I don't say it, someone's going to wonder. I'm drinking a latte out of this, but it says uh, a whiskey well earned. And I <laughs> only note that because some keen-eyed viewer who's going to see the video clip is going to be like, is he drinking whiskey? <laughs> is that what it means to love God? <laughs> yeah, you know, uh, you know I, I think part of the way to answer that question is going to scripture and looking at what are the ways in which somebody did love God? Because, I mean, if we're honest as people, we don't even understand that word. Like you take it out of a Christian context, just in general, you get 10 people in a room, they're going to have 10 different answers of what love is. Mm -hmm. What love is for my relationship with the Hershey cream pie is one thing. I love those. Those are delicious. It's very different than when I say I love my kids because I love my kids, even if they're saying they hate me, even if they're uh, yelling at me, even if they're uh, avoiding me, right? Like, and so when we think of God, God is often referenced in that um, kind of a father role. And so for me, I come, I'm more and more as a parent of three kids, my oldest one being 10. So I've been a parent for a decade. I find myself often going to that as a continuous living analogy as I'm trying to understand what it means to love God. How would I want my kids to love me? And it's interesting because that answer is different than if I was trying to answer the question of how do I love God 10, 20, 30 years ago? Because there are times in my life where it was about doing what God said, right? And as a father, there is an element of obedience to it. Um, there is an element of, I, I would, if I tell my kids to do something, I, I want them to do it. But I also know plenty of times where my kids are doing what I said to the, like the letter, but, uh, they're not actually thinking of me as they're doing it. They're not, uh, trying to honor me as they do it. They're not appreciating me or anything like that. They're just doing it to check off a box, mm. take chores. For example, <laughs> my, I've learned with my son, he, he is, uh, they, they want to get a pet. And I said, before we can get, we have a cat before we get some other animal, y'all got to show you could take care of this one that I've been responsible for for 15 years. And my son's in charge of the litter and he's supposed to clean the litter area. Right. Uh, frequently I would go in there and it's a mess. And I'm like, bud, you didn't clean the litter area. And he's like, yes, I did. And what I came to find out is there's this difference in understanding the core prompt there because he knew for a fact that he grabbed a little broom, grabbed a dustpan and swept stuff up. Right. So he cleaned, mm -hmm. he on a level technically cleaned. What I know is that's not clean. <laughs> and so I've had to shift the question. Right. And I start to say, is that area clean? And, and so when I think of loving God, there's, I mean, Christian, there have been people who have identified themselves as Christians who have done things that either they communicated as God honoring or they actually believed were God honoring, but they, they were somehow missing the mark. And the ones that didn't miss the mark were the ones that were not trying to do a set of things, but were actually trying to seek God. This is why Jesus ran into trouble because the Pharisees knew all the rules you had to follow to honor God. And then here's this guy coming out and healing people on the Sabbath or letting his disciples pick grains on the Sabbath. Like that's, that's against God's law. So he is dishonoring God. He's not loving God. Well, 
the reality is Jesus was like loving God more fully than any of those Pharisees could ever understand. But there is this disconnect because they had gotten focused on the things that they had to do or the things that they shouldn't do. And Jesus was focused on an actual relationship with his father. And so what I think it means to love God then is not, do I do all these things or do I not do all these other things? Those are subsets. It's really like, am I actually authentically trying to connect with him? Am I actually seeking him? Or am I just putting on a label? Am I just attaching myself to some identity? Um, because the latter, uh, that's going to be limited in what it produces. But the former, actually striving to connect with God, I believe, uh, can lead to what Ephesians 3.20 says, um, to him who's able to do far exceedingly more than we could ask or imagine. Like that little effort of mine could actually produce a lot more than I could expect. Mm. And it comes across to God as loving, just as my kid who does some small, simple thing, but they do it because they know it'll... Uh, show care to me like that means so much to me a card they draw a card with scribbles on it like but i it it communicates love because they were trying to share that connection with me mm-hmm. see i think it's it's if, if you look at it from a pragmatic view you can understand where the pharisees the others perhaps went wrong following the rules because it is complicated it is hard yeah. to know exactly what it is and this idea of getting everybody to do it if you believe it is the right way to live putting and, and you, you mentioned the parent analogy that's a beautiful one too because as a parent you think of that like sometimes you just want to put rules or principles in place that people could follow so you can understand how they kind of went that way even with the best of intentions yeah i think also it speaks to the complexity of answering the question and and you know inevitably there's people listening that are skeptical of christianity or god in general yeah. and they could take an approach yeah. and say okay beautiful answer paul but i'm still not exactly sure what it means now let me let me give a little bit more on that because i think uh-huh. that connection to god is important seeking god is important i think that starts to drill into the next layer but let me throw some things at you is it yeah yeah what you said like part of your value is it looking to love and be kind to others as you would yourself as you would your own family like if you had to put it in even more practical mm-hmm. terms is it that or can we not? Is it one of those things where words just cannot be put around it to say exactly what it means to love God, to seek God? Yeah, uh, I think it's a little bit of both. Like I think of uh, being married when I try to quantify what it means to love my wife. Like mm-hmm. I could come up with some practical things. I could come up with some experiential things. Um, I'm also still figuring that out. You know, when when we hit our uh, first really hard moment. I thought I understood what it meant to love my wife. I suddenly realized maybe it's it's actually deeper than I realized. When I was at the first point where I had no capacity left to love and yet somehow I was able to still love her. I was like, oh, like this is something else beyond myself, mm-hmm. like beyond my desire or strength or wisdom. Uh, and so I think in the same way, understand if, if God exists and he is this like incomprehensible being, then what it looks like to relate with that, like I think it's going to take me a lifetime to understand that. What it takes to like serve that what it takes to like honor that like i think that's going to take a lifetime because even in my life up to this point i could see so many ways in which i thought i was doing something uh as it was intended to be done and at this juncture i'm like oh man no like i i didn't understand now that being said scripture is full of examples of practical things Right. So it's interesting. Uh, the conversation about love God, love others came up. I, I facilitated a community Bible study and it came up today and we started talking about the passage where it talks about uh, Jesus says, you know, imagine there's this 
crowd of sheep and this crowd of goats. And the short, short version of it is that Jesus looks at the goats and says, you know, when I was hungry, you didn't feed me. When I was thirsty, you didn't give me water. When I was in prison, when I was, you know, naked, you didn't clean. Like when I was all these things, you didn't do it. And the goats are like, whoa, 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 whoa. Like, when did we, when did we see you and not do that? Cause like, we're striving. <laughs> they didn't say this, but like, I imagine them saying like, we're trying to love you. Like we're trying. So if like, if we had seen you, we would have rolled out the red carpet. We would have done all the things. And then Jesus basically says, when you fail to do it for the least of these, you mm. fail to do it for me. Mm. Then he comes to the sheep, says the same thing, uh, except the flip. Uh, when I was hungry, you fed me. When I was thirsty, you gave me water. When I was, when I was, when I was you, you, you. And they're like, wait, wait, wait a minute. When, when did we see you? <laughs> like, when did this happen? I don't remember seeing you. Like, I mean, yes, I would have done it, but like, I don't recall this. And again, when you did it to the least of these, you did it to me. And what's interesting is I feel like that passage, I never thought about it until today. I feel like it beautifully captures why Jesus emphasized this idea of love God and love others. Because again, the Pharisees had all these laws. There's all, you could go to Leviticus and all, you can find all these laws. And Jesus is like, y'all, y'all kind of, you're missing, you're missing the mark. Let me boil it down for you. All right. All these things you're like the sum of all of that is to love God and love others. And the goats in their best intention of spaces probably were trying to love God, but what they were failing to do is love others because they had passed people who were hungry, thirsty, naked, imprisoned, and hadn't responded. Maybe had good reasons, right? The story of the good Samaritan where uh, someone is beaten and left on the side of the road and a priest passes by and doesn't do anything and a Levite passes by. But then this Samaritan, like who is at odds with the Jew and the Jew with the Samaritan, he gives of himself, his donkey, his money to, to serve. Well, that's what the, the sheep were doing is it wasn't that they were going out saying, oh, that's Jesus. So I'm going to do something good and get some points. It's just for whatever reason, they had made a decision when they saw someone hungry. I'm going to I'm going to care for this person. I'm going to give of my money or my food or my coat. And so like, I think there's that piece of it as well. But what's so hard, what's so hard is ideally it is it is not coming from a place of obligation mm. right like there's 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 this difference when somebody's like helping somebody and when somebody's serving somebody and maybe that part of that difference is how they're viewing the other person is this a problem to be fixed is this someone lesser than me but also like when my kids like when i tell my kids hey, go help your sibling do that and like be, they begrudgingly do it they're physically helping but there's something different when I see my kids coming alongside their siblings and serving. And so you got both pieces then, right? This idea of love is bigger than we understand. And I think to love God is going to be this lifelong journey for me to grapple with and to try to step into, sometimes stumble into, sometimes mess up with. And there is this constant invitation that if there is opportunity to love others, that I should be cognizant of how am I responding to that opportunity? Because Jesus paired it together. He didn't keep them separate. He said, I'm going to give you two. I'm going to give you a two for one. It's love God, love others. Like they are in, intended to function in tandem. And in that, like, if I'm not loving those around me, then I can't actually authentically say that I'm loving God. Mm -hmm. Somewhere else in scripture, it basically says that if you say you love God, but you hate your brother, you, you, you need to step back and check yourself because mm -hmm. you can't actually love God if you are hating someone else. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I mean, so much of that 
resonates with me, particularly as, as somebody that values philosophy so much and, and questioning that grappling like that to me, yeah. I, I, I don't know necessarily what I believe, but there's something deep rooted in me that says almost exactly what you're saying. Like there is a best, best, better, whatever way to be. I don't know exactly what it is, exactly where you are. I can't fully put it into words, but I want to strive towards that. And, and also a recognition that it's going to be very difficult <laughs> and it would be so much easier to just let it go. So, so much of that resonates as you're saying it. Let me ask the question, and, and we could take this where we want to go. I, obviously, I want to get to wherever the most authentic, honest view of it is. What, why do you think there are so many people today when that is the message, right? Let's let's take that message. Mm -hmm. They're still so um, skeptical, cynical, hateful at times of Christianity. And obviously, there's a lot of reasons throughout history. We could point to specific things. We can look at kind of more abstract or, or root causes, wherever we want to go with it. But I ask that very openly and, and not it doesn't have to literally be for the person that is hateful of Christianity. But how did we get to a point where that was the message and somehow people view it as something bad in the world? Like, how did that happen? Yeah, I mean, you can track it all the way back to Jesus, right? Because Jesus was actively going out and loving people. And a lot of people got mad at him for doing that. And and I think it came from a lot of different spaces. It goes back to that self-preservation bug, right? So. I think for the Pharisees, what Jesus began to represent to them was a changing of the way the world worked. Because if you were a Pharisee, like you are the spiritual leader. Well, here's this other guy amassing followers. <laughs> and he's actually loving people that we've been neglecting. <laughs> and that's going to make us look bad. Like, and there's this self-preservation. I've got to protect my reputation. I got to protect my status. Like so, so sometimes it might be that. Sometimes it's a self-preservation that's born out of fear because Jesus was interacting with lepers, right? Like, and if the way the world worked is if you touch a leper, you got leprosy. And if you are a Jewish person, then you are not just, you don't have leprosy. You just also are unclean. So now you've got two counts against you that you can't be around those that you love. You've got to be outside the city. And like, but this guy that I'm following is, going near people that I don't want to go near, or I'm afraid to go near. And so I think there's, I think it, what Jesus was doing was going against so much of how we naturally operate. Um, and actually, let me pull back on that. I don't know that it's how we naturally operate. I think it's a default we fall into. I don't think we were, natural implies that we were created to function in a certain way. And I don't think we were created to avoid certain people or to restrict or withhold love from certain people. But our a default is something you can just slip into. Mm. And that self-preservation pushes us into that default. Now, that's, that's with Jesus. This is someone who is perfectly exhibiting what it means to love others, no matter who they are, what they bring to the table. Then we get into humans trying to replicate this. <laughs> like your everyday person who maybe their life looked very different before that, maybe they were into all kinds of stuff. They're trying to replicate this and they're doing so imperfectly. Mm -hmm. So take Peter, for example. Uh, Peter has a, a long story with Jesus around times that he seemed to be making, doing things well and times that he was completely missing the mark. And all along the way, Jesus is walking with them, encouraging him and then sets him up in a position of spiritual leadership. Peter is instrumental in acts to uh, how the first church came about, not because Peter did it, but the, the Holy Spirit decided to speak through Peter specifically. Mm -hmm. And he had a leadership role as this church grew from just, you know, 120 people 
praying together to thousands from all over the known world. And someone could look and say, oh, man, this guy is like now he's like praying for people. He's encouraging people. He's healing people. He's doing all these things. Well, then you fast forward to this point where uh, he has already been challenged in his notion that those who weren't Jewish were lesser. He had still had this operating in him. So there were decisions that he was making prior where his bias was impacting his capacity to love without him knowing it. God convicted him on that somewhere middle of Acts. But then you get this point where he knows this now. He knows that God has said Jews and Gentiles alike are welcome in. Uh, Paul talks about a point where he's like, I had to rebuke Peter because he was eating with the Gentiles, which is which most Jews did not approve of. But he was eating with them until he saw James and other leaders who uh, were born Jewish. When he saw them, Peter got away from that table and I had to rebuke him. Right. And so this is the other piece is you can have this core foundational value of love, but when it's in the hands of people who are um, uh, enacting it imperfectly or enacting it for wrong reasons <laughs> or have been trying to do it well and then mess up, then those perceiving it can have a lot of reactions to it. But I think the most detrimental is when somebody does it for the wrong reasons. And this is where like something like the Crusades will happen, <laughs> where Jesus wouldn't have said, hey, you know what? I've, I have a good idea of how to get people to follow me. Let's kill a bunch of other people. Right. Right. Yeah. right. Like, but uh, somehow in their minds, a bunch of people, I think there were some not well-intentioned people at the table, but in any of those kind of situations, there's also always people who are well-intentioned that have gotten duped or fooled or whatever into kind of believing this thing. Sometimes we allow ourselves to believe a lie because it's safer. And anybody looking from the outside is now saying, okay, so they're identifying as Christian and they're doing what? Mm -hmm. So I'm not sure I'm buying this whole Christianity thing. <laughs> and unfortunately... These aren't one-off things. Like this is this has been throughout Christianity. Christians said slavery was good. Christians said it makes sense for those who are black to be separated from those who are white. And in the last few years, there's been a lot of Christians who have been saying and doing things that are, are not Christ-like. When I saw uh, the um, the assault on the Capitol and the Jesus banner waving, and uh, uh, What's the what's the the shaman guy? What's the what did what was his name? What did they call him? The the buffalo uh, guy, buffalo. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. There's some, something something shaman or something. But like one of the most difficult, uh, there's a lot of difficult things. One of the really difficult things for me was watching a clip of him within the Senate chambers. Like, all right, let's pray and let's give honor to God. And I'm like, like you're 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 thanking God for things that I'm confident God did not do. You're giving God credit and putting on Him things that I'm confident he didn't approve of mm. but there are going to be people who will see the jesus banner and hear that prayer and like justifiably mm. attach that to christianity because they are saying we're christians <laughs> this is what christians do if, if we hone in on the individual and, and i don't know where this goes and, and i think you've answered it already so I'm, I'm trying to press to see like have we hit let's press man let's we hit do the it root, right like have we hit the first principle so if you are you know anybody in, in the examples you just gave who at least mm -hmm understands what Jesus's message was, um, has at least stated a preference that they'd like to follow, that they see value in mm -hmm. it. How do they go the other way? Like, is yeah. it, if we're trying, I, I understand the self-preservation, but 
if they're aware, is it is the next step in that thread that they say, I am more important than God? Is that ultimately what they're saying, but don't want to admit? Are they saying, I don't actually believe it? Or as you alluded to a little bit, is it actually not consciously within their control? Yeah. Is it that it's just totally beyond them to, to recognize that? Like, I think it could be a combination of things, a combination of all those things. Like I think of um, Adam and Eve in scripture. Uh, the, the issue wasn't that they ate fruit. It's that in that decision, what they are basically saying, that what the, what the voice had told them, what the enemy had told them was, if you eat this, you'll be like God. Mm-hmm. So essentially in eating that, they're saying, well, like we don't have to be under God anymore. Mm-hmm. Like we could be equal with God, right? And so it's this shifting in how they saw God and how they wanted to relate with him. They did not want to relate with him in that same way anymore. They didn't want to be controlled or dictator or whatever. Um, and so I think some of that can happen because they, you get the impression as you keep reading that they didn't, they didn't say, and then they left the garden and said, peace out, God. Like they wanted to stay in God's presence. So there is this cognitive dissonance, right? Where like, they were making decisions and choices without fully grasping the ramifications of those choices, or they were making decisions and choices and then almost immediately shutting their brains off. So they didn't have to think about the ramifications of that. Um, I think of also another example where, you know, you were asking the question of, is it within our control? And I think the apostle Paul is an interesting case for that because he, to the best that we know, thought he was living a God honoring life. I mean, he was Pharisee of Pharisees, Hebrew of Hebrew. He says, as to the law, I was blameless. So he's like living on paper, a a perfect exemplary life and on track to being like the top spiritual leader. Hmm. Meanwhile, he's approving of the murder of a lot of Christians. Now, in his mind, he may have seen Jesus as a dangerous heretic that was uh, destroying the name and honor of God. And in his mind, it could have been justified that Jesus was killed. And anybody that's still promoting this Jesus guy, who's dead, by the way, so why are we still talking about him? Like, he he made a case in his mind why it's okay for Christians to be murdered. Mm-hmm. Uh, he did not have a change of heart as he was talking with some friends. Or what happened to him was it was like Jesus basically literally knocked him off his feet. Like, the Acts talks about this blinding light. And Jesus speaking to him and saying, you know, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And there is this moment where when he was actually in uh, in direct connection with this entity that he said he was following, like in this case, the son of God, but like he, he believed he was following God. And now suddenly he's actually interacting with it. I, I imagine that he must have realized how off he was, mm. that he actually was following. Oh, this is what I was supposed to be following. Like, I'm like five feet or like, you know, a 25% angle, <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, 25 degree angle in the wrong direction. I thought it was in the right direction, but now that I see the correct direction, I've gotten off track somewhere. Like, so for some people it's that, like until something smacks them upside the head, mm-hmm. maybe it's a hard situation. Maybe it's a loss. Maybe it's something convicted. I don't know. Um, that's the only thing that kind of breaks them from mm-hmm. this trapped mindset that they had fallen in where they were justifying things that if they, saw someone else doing it like they wouldn't have agreed to it take um i like this example too uh david a man after god's own heart who by the way saw a woman that wasn't his wife bathing on a roof called her over slept with her got her pregnant uh tried to trick her husband into sleeping with her so they didn't nobody had to know 
He refused because he was an honorable man. So he sends him on the front line. He dies. And then he marries Bathsheba. <laughs> and none of this is God honoring stuff. <laughs> none of this is justifiable. But somehow he's convinced himself. And nobody else is going to confront the king on it. Because what happens if you confront a king on something this big? You die. So mm -hmm. he's already killed Uriah. So like, what's to stop him from killing someone else? And Nathan uh, is a prophet, Nathan, who actually comes to him. And it's very slick what happens here. Um, he doesn't directly call him out. He basically says, hey, can I tell you a story? Mm -hmm. So there's this guy who has a sheep that he loves. Now, he knows David used to be a shepherd. So David's got a soft spot in his heart for sheep. So already David's gripped. He's like, yeah, I used to have a sheep. And he's like, yeah, well, and this, this other person comes and takes the sheep from him. And then like tells this horrific story of this family losing their, their loved sheep and this and the other. And Nathan basically says like, what should happen to that man? And David's like, ah, oh, this should happen to that man. And that should happen to man. And then Nathan's like, you are the man. And it's like, because this is the other really hard part. Sometimes logic's not going to get us there. I, I could tell you for a fact, I've had many conversations with people who identify as Christian who uh, are seeing the world very differently than I do and logic does not break through mm. because when we have locked ourselves into something that self-preservation goes back up the self-defense mechanisms go up and typically without us even realizing it and Nathan knew if he had just called David out wouldn't have gotten through David would have gotten defensive but if he came he kind of circumvented it mm. kind of got close to his heart David was able to recognize the core of what was wrong. And then when it was applied to him, like it, it broke him. And so I don't know, man, it's, it's, it's such a tricky thing because again, this has been happening as long as Christianity has been a thing, but the answer isn't to just, well, no, uh, no, definitely not. <laughs> well, and let, let me keep pressing a little bit. Cause I think these two stories you give are such good stories to continue to, to look at it. Because I think on the yeah. one hand with David, there's a view which we can get into. We've started to touch on it a little bit where there's like these base primal desires that we have mm -hmm. that maybe that speaks exactly as you're saying that part of us where it's like, we can't even control it. And, and that's yeah. part of what trying to love God is the way you stated is, is just trying to control that, to understand yeah. that it can lead to harm. And we can't, as hard as it is, as impossible mm -hmm. as it feels at times, we can't do that. So there's that category. Then there's the other category, more you're talking about with Paul and even the Crusades and those things where there's this sentiment of, I'm I'm protecting God. I'm doing this in honor <laughs> of God. And that one is interesting to me because I'm curious, just given yeah. your expertise in this area, I would imagine that's rooted in, and, and I don't know if God said this directly in scripture or not, but this idea that there is an enemy, right? Because when, when we tell the story of Jesus, it's love everybody, everybody's welcome in. But then there's also this concept of the devil and evil being out there. And that would mm -hmm. seem to have opened the door for people to take this stance of, I can go murder those people or hurt those yeah. people because I need to protect against this evil. Yeah. Was that a mistake that was made? You know, I'm not going to say God made a mistake. Yeah. How did that come out? How did that allow for itself? The, the big problem is we kind of jumped too far ahead, right? Mm -hmm. So, yeah, scripture does talk about these ideas of good and evil. I do think historically we have misunderstood those in a lot of ways. But even if you take that as, let's just say there is a good and an evil. The thing that we're jumping over is what is our response to that? Because our gut response is what we've been trained in ever, you know, as long as stories have been told. And for us, as long as movies and shows have been made, there is a hero and a villain. The villain's always bad and the hero is always good. And the goal is you have to defeat the villain. 
now it's <laughs> really interesting. I feel like there are more shows now that are starting to step back from that yeah. and kind of blurred a little bit. And it, and it kind of captures us because it's actually more realistic mm -hmm. because it's rare that you have somebody that is just utterly evil and villainous. And then it's rare that you have somebody just utterly good. <laughs> right. And so the reality is, is it's, it's this blurrier thing, but we still have this notion that if something's bad, I have to get rid of it. I have to destroy it. I have to fight against it. Scripture is filled with uh, uh, battle uh, terminology, things like that. But I think there are many who have latched onto that for whatever reasons. Sometimes they're not good reasons. Sometimes it makes us feel good to be the aggressors. Sometimes it's we're, <clears throat> we're afraid. And so like that makes us feel stronger or safer. I think there's a lot of people making the decision to fight for God that it's not actually about God. Um, but if we, as if, if Christians actually stopped for a moment and asked that question of what does the Bible say our response to evil should be, I think it would catch us off guard because uh, take, for example, a lot of people will pull the passage of the armor of God, you know, and it's talking about suiting up with the uh, the helmet of salvation and the breastplate of breastplate of righteousness and the sword of the spirit. And the hilarious thing is, is all of those except for the sword are real defensive things, mm. right? The sword is the only aggressive one, but the way that it's described, especially elsewhere in scripture is not an aggressive stab someone kind of a way. <laughs> um, and so Already in that, there's this idea that it's it's not about being the aggressor, but it, it goes even further. It says once you get suited up, it says um, when it, it talks, I wish I had it memorized, uh, but when it talks about standing against evil, it, it actually talks about standing. Mm -hmm. And then it says when you've done all else to continue to stand. So again, it's not a fight and tear it down and cut it up. It's like stand firm. Mm -hmm. uh, fast forward to Revelation. Another thing that people will point to and say therefore we have like this is starting to happen so we need to fight for god well you know what the believers in revelation are typically doing standing and singing and getting slaughtered <laughs> like that's that's how revelation describes it i don't see anything in there of like the people of god being the ones to wage war there is a point where it talks about the lamb and the angels but even in that like uh it talks about you know to those who are to be taken captive, be taken captive. And those who are to be slain, be slain. It's like not an invitation to fight. Go back to the Apostle Paul. He knows like the threat against Christians because he was the threat. How does he respond when evil is actually coming at him? He gets beaten and flogged and left for dead and imprisoned and eventually martyred. The majority of the disciples martyred, right? And so... Any Christian that is taking up this stance that I have to fight for God, it's hard for me to find a spiritual backing for that. Now, it's easy for me to find a spiritual backing for a seemingly counterintuitive opposite uh, response. And there is one more thing, and it's gone. It'll come back if it's important. It's, all right. it's the perfect timing <laughs> for it, because I was going to ask. So Thank goodness. <laughs> is it... Is it fair based on your understanding, based on your beliefs that because because a lot of people would reference and again, I'm by no means expert on it. I've read it, but, you know, mm -hmm. just the Old Testament in general that God, God seemingly was um, more violent, more rageful, yeah. you know, the flood, the, the, the all different things in which things were done is the view that that was a misinterpretation and that actually wasn't the mm -hmm. case or is the view and I say this with full respect that God evolved 
and and the God of the yeah, Old Testament yeah. is is an evolved God in the New Testament who recognized maybe some some problems with that. Yeah, and it is it is hard and murky because somebody could say that the latter couldn't be an option because Scripture talks about God being unchanging, right. the God who was and is and is to come. So it makes it kind of hard. And I've heard people say that, and I've processed that in my times of wrestling with these questions of, well, is the God of the Old Testament different than the God of the New Testament? But if I land on that, if I say, well, no, God was and is and is to come. So he was the same. He's never changing. Well, then what do I do with this murderous God? Like, right. what do I do with this God who killed? Because like that, that doesn't mesh well with me. Like I'm not someone who's feels comfortable going around killing. Right. And I could resign myself to saying, well, God is be a above me and bigger than me. So he knows things that I don't. And that's not wrong, but that's still difficult. Like it is, if God exists, then it is possible that he is uh, fully autonomous, able to make big, like incomprehensible decisions. And like, we should honor him in that. Like it's, there is that scenario, but that doesn't change the fact that it's like, what do I do with this? Because this is a book that I'm supposed to be like reading and learning for them and yeah. reflecting. And, and from. just to say there, Paul, too, like practically too, for the where we worry about people feeling the need to defend God's honor and to fight. Mm -hmm. If you're looking to God and say, well, well, that's what God did. So if that's the model, then yeah. that, so not to cut you off, but yeah. Yeah. Right yeah. And exactly. And, and so to that, then we'd start to have to press into, well, why did he say things? Why did he do things? And then for that person, we'd have to ask the question of, and am I God? <laughs> like, you know, because again, Jesus says to be like him. God typically typically says to honor him, right? So like there's a, there's a slight differentiation. And the big difference between Jesus is he came in human form as something that could be replicated. So if we're sitting here trying to be like God, then we might actually be falling into the trap that Adam and Eve fell in. And our desire and intentions for doing that may not be the right ones if we're gonna follow jesus which is what jesus said if you want to know the father you got to know me and if you want to be like the father be like me well again what did we see jesus doing we didn't see jesus fighting <laughs> we didn't the only time we see any kind of aggression is when he uh forges a whip and goes into the temple and drives out people who are not just dishonoring the temple but dishonoring god's people people who were poor that were being taken advantage of. And, um, and it doesn't say though, that he actually whipped anybody, right? So like, there's no physical violence to people and quite the opposite when uh, guards come and take him away and beat him and lie on him and insult him and kill him. Like he could have called down angels and like burn the whole place up. He didn't, he didn't do that. So if I'm saying I'm a Christian, if I'm saying I'm a Christian, then I'm saying I'm a Christ follower. That's what I'm supposed to be following. So even if I'm having an issue navigating the God of the Old Testament who destroyed nations, it doesn't change my mandate to follow Christ or put another way, like I can't ignore that mandate to follow Christ and say, well, since God justified killing people that think differently, then I'm going to do that. Because, yeah, I mean, I think at the end of the day, uh, theologians have been wrestling with this idea. What do we do with the God who, what do we do with God's wrath? Uh, you know, that's a, that's a good way to sum it up. Um, and, and it feels wrong sometimes to justify it, which some Christians will do without actually thinking about what's well, just Paul, don't rush past that. <laughs> um, and, and I think again, like if we're talking about an incomprehensible God, that's bigger 
than we could ever understand and know. Like what I come back to is that even if I don't understand it, there is a scenario in which the decisions that God made were the the right ones to be made or the best ones to be made. And that me and my limited human intellect and understanding, like wouldn't be able to grasp if he even told me. Um, That is a difficult step of faith, which kind of brings back to one of the things, well, two things. I remember the other thing. There we go. One, uh, when it talks about, when we're talking about defending God, this is just a bonus. I love the passage where you've got the Ark of the Covenant, which was supposed to be like representative of the presence of God. The Israelites get taken captive. The Ark gets taken, right? Uh, when the Ark is taken, the the enemies that had taken it start having all these like horrible stuff happen to them, like plagues and things like that until finally they're like, oh gosh, this is, we need to get this God out of our, our <laughs> nation and sends it back. And I share that to say like, God doesn't need me to protect him. <laughs> like God didn't need, doesn't need anyone to protect him. And so if we feel like, oh, I've got to be the defender of God, like we might be thinking too highly of ourselves. Uh, I shouldn't have gone down that rabbit trail. I was going to say, you're going to forget the second one. <laughs> I knew it. it it'll um, come back if it's important. It'll come back. It'll come back. So uh, there's so many directions to go. Let, let me go this direction. This is the realest one for me. Yeah. And we've talked about this a little bit before, but what I personally struggle with the most. So, so firstly, let me say, I think it's a really interesting, thought-provoking, good answer to say Jesus came in, in human form and said these things. That's the message we should be listening to. For, and, and, and it's further justified by the idea that what happened in the Old Testament, God, as far as I understand, never said you should do that. That's just what yeah. God did. And, and perhaps we can't understand that. So let's let's go with that because I think that's a really, a really interesting take on it. Um, so, okay. So let's say I, I buy then into the message of Jesus and, and where we were in the beginning of this love God, love other people. Mm-hmm. The idea, if you see someone suffering, you know, give to them, care about them, like you would your own yourself or your family and all that. When I look at the world and I see suffering in the world, whether that be from natural disaster, from, from human driven things, just whatever form or fashion it is, whatever vision of suffering you can imagine, which is just really horrific suffering. I find myself with this conflict and struggling, which says I can understand that perhaps God has a reason and this suffering is happening for some reason that's beyond our comprehension but i also have this innate sense in me that that jesus told me was the right sense which is i should never be okay with that and those two things don't seem to reconcile at least for me there's a struggle there with that to say well how can i follow how can i serve how can i submit to this god that's that's creating these things even if there is a good reason which so deep in my soul i don't want to accept mm-hmm. how do we do that yeah how, how yeah do we make sense of that how do we reconcile that yeah well, and so part of it, uh, as you're talking about it, it makes me think of things, uh, conversations I've had around um, things we see in the Old Testament that we attribute to God. Uh, one question is, is God causing it, right? Okay. Which, uh, to be fair, the flip question is, but is he stopping it? Which is a valid thing. And well, you know, we can come to that. Um, but there's so much that I see in the world today and so much that exists even in scripture that one could make a case that it wasn't God causing it, but like some really messed up people. <laughs> like we were talking about in our community Bible study today, someone was saying, you know, well, God said after the flood that he wouldn't flood again, but I'm seeing all these floods. And I'm, I was like, I'm gonna be honest with you. Like, like a lot of the floods we see, I wouldn't say that God caused it. Like there's a lot of deforestation, you know, or, you know, we'll tear up an entire forest and then lay down a bunch of pavement. Now we have an impermeable, impermeable surface that rain now can't seep into the earth, can't be sucked up 
in the roots. And so it's flying. Like, so there's a lot or fires, <laughs> like lightning can strike a tree, but interestingly, you know, in designing trees, there are some forests that they go through that burning process to mm. thrive more. Right. So like, there's like a design around some forest fires, but a lot of the forest fires we see, it's a gender reveal party with bombs. Like, that's, <laughs> like right. Like it's, uh, and so I think that's the first piece is there's a lot that we attribute to God, um, a lot of suffering that we attribute to God that actually, whether directly or indirectly, is a result of the choices of people. And oftentimes choices that were not from the space of loving God or loving others, or if the person's not even a Christian, whatever, like loving others, caring for others. A lot of times it's profit or self-preservation. Um, and sometimes these things have ramifications and ripples like years, 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 years. Like I live in a community that has high levels of poverty, of addiction, of gun violence. And a lot of people look and see the, the suffering in the community and can have a lot of thoughts. Some people can blame God. Other, most of the time, people blame the people that live here. Mm -hmm. Right? Like, well, y'all are so violent. Y'all are, you know, just stop being lazy. No, actually, the reality is, is there were things that happened decades ago, a right. hundred years ago, 150, 200 years ago, that shaped the suffering that exists in my community. Right. And, and so, you know, the, then it comes back to the big deeper question of what is the response? Like if I am a, cause I, I am here because I believe that God invited me to this space and I have to constantly wrestle with what does it look like to navigate this space out of the value of loving God and loving others when there's a lot of stuff that I'm seeing that I don't like, or I don't know what to do with, or I seen, don't see how it could ever be fixed. Where is God in this? God, I was praying for this person who was wrestling with addiction or this person who's unsheltered and you didn't give them a home. Like I wrestled these questions. And I think for me, what I've, where I've come to land on is I've got to release one, my idea that I am I'm the one to fix anything, which fortunately I've never had that bug as so much as some people do. There's the term white savior complex. There's mm -hmm. plenty of times <laughs> white people will go into predominantly black neighborhoods and to fix it. And that's, it can cause more trouble. Um, but I still like, even if I don't have that overt bug, like I could still have that. So I have to be cognizant of this. This is not about me. Mm -hmm. I'm not better than that's going back to the helping versus serving thing that I talked about mm -hmm. earlier. Um, the other thing is like, am I willing to release my idea of what is supposed to happen? Because here's the big thing. This is, this is if we want to get really to the, to the root of all of this, is when I am most frustrated with suffering is when I have an idea of how the world is supposed to be and what it should look like. Because mm. if I didn't have that, then it is just what it is. And there are plenty of people who are operating in that space. They don't have any lofty or aspirational or optimistic prospects. So whatever it is, it just is. There's an apathy that can set in, right? Um, but if we have an idea that something is supposed to be better than when it's not, that 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 causes a tension. Yeah. Um, and sometimes on on paper, it could be justifiable. I every year I have a murder within a block of my house. Like that's nobody would say that's good, right? But um, I think what I'm starting to realize that if I believe that God exists, one, if I believe that uh, my existence is not simply about my existence, that I actually exist for something beyond myself. Scripture does, isn't written for me. It's written with a generational mindset, generation, generation after generation after generation. So if I am ascribing to that, then I'm going, I have to choose to be of the understanding that my life is about something beyond just me having the life that I want. Mm. Um, and then three, 
Jesus talks about something to come, something that's, you know, a new heaven and a new earth, something greater. In other words, uh, all we know, all you and I know is this life we are in now. But if there is something that's greater, and this is like a speck compared to that, then that would mean that the hardships, the suffering that to us is catastrophic, maybe like, uh, how does scripture put it? These light and momentary troubles. <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, when Paul or whoever says that, if I'm remembering correctly, I think he's saying it to people who are suffering pretty greatly. And it could seem dismissive. Like, oh yeah, like you, you've had all this suffering, you know, these light and momentary troubles. But the idea is that they cannot compare to this greater thing. And so if there is a God who exists, who is inviting us to something greater than ourselves, and he knows that there is something greater in store, he can look at these hard, hard things, but he knows how minute they are compared to eternity or compared to abundantly more or far exceedingly more. Now, that's great theology, but when I am uh, going through my day and encountering the same hard situation that has been just tearing me apart for a decade, like it's, it can be hard. And at that point, that's where we get back to the preference and conviction. That's right. when I get to a point of like, how much am I willing to stake on this? Cause this is the, this is one of the other things that I was going to say earlier. Oh no, I did say earlier, Jesus talks about hating your father and mother and, yeah, and all yeah. that kind of, that's where that comes in. Like, if I believe in this, am I willing to, to give everything away in, in mm -hmm. order to follow this? And, uh, and the good news is that when Jesus says that, because he doesn't, because he doesn't hate family, what actually happens, um, I'll share this. There's this passage where it almost seems like Jesus is lying. Uh, there's a rich young man who comes and he's been living like an exemplary life. He's like, Jesus, what do I need to do to inherit eternal life? Jesus, like, well, how do you understand the law? And he lists out the things. He's like, I've been doing that. She's like, great. All right. Keep on going. He's like, yeah, but I'm, I might be mixing passages here. I think I'm mixing with the Good Samaritan. Anyways, uh, he says to this guy, uh, one thing you lack, sell everything you have, give it to the poor and follow me. And he, and he hangs his head low and walks away sorrowful. Uh, not necessarily because he was greedy. Maybe he had really good intentions. Like if I give all my stuff away, how am I going to care for my family? Or like I have, I'm already running a ministry that's going to shut down the ministry or all kinds of things. It really wasn't about the money. It wasn't a price of entry that Jesus had. It was a question of heart. Mm -hmm. He said that he wanted to follow Jesus, but he actually had conditions. I will follow you in so far as, um, so then the disciples are getting scared. They're like, well, and Jesus says like, uh, it's easier for a camel to get through an eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom. And they're like, well, what? what's going to happen to us? Like, cause like, we're not perfect people. Um, and Jesus says something to the effect of anybody who has left family and home and land to follow me will get back a hundredfold family home. And this is a thing that somebody could say, whoa, did Jesus lie? Because you know what Peter didn't get a hundred houses. You know what Peter didn't get like a uh, hundred acres of land, except, except he did because what was, what's so amazing is, there's this beautiful thing that happens in Acts that if we're, if, we're, if we're willing to have our eyes open, we can see that how limited our thinking is. Because I would take Jesus' promise to say, oh, I gave up my home, so I get 100 homes. But in Acts, you have this small group that's waiting for the Spirit to come. Spirit comes, suddenly like explodes, thousands of people. And you get to like Acts 3, Acts 4. And it said, 
everyone shared everything in common and nobody had a need among them. And people who had houses were willing to sell them. And it, so that means that Peter, even though he didn't have a hundred houses with his name on the title, he had access Everything. to a hundred houses, yeah. hundreds of acres, family, thousands, their family expanded. And so even when this hard, hard invitation of giving up everything, mm. of selling all you have, of me thinking, am I willing to give my life to Jesus? Um, it can seem very costly and it is, but if Jesus is real, what he's actually offering is something abundantly more. Mm. But to get to that point is a step of faith because it's not promising it. Like, all right, if you come, here's what you get. Mm -hmm. Sign the contract. Mm -hmm. You don't know what it's going to look like. And it's probably going to look different than you expect because Ephesians 3.20 again says to him, who's able to do far exceedingly more than we could ask or imagine. That means the best that I could ask for, the best that I could imagine it's like small compared yeah, to yeah. what he's trying to do. <laughs> yeah. All right. Let me see if I could piece together the response I'm thinking to this with perhaps a final question. That's that's the culmination, I think, of what we've been working towards. Yeah. So um, it, it makes me think, as you're saying that, that, you know, often Christianity, I'm not saying it's right, but it's maybe it is, but it's it's viewed as it's somewhat of a test. There's this view to see yeah. who deserves to get that, that to be into heaven or however you want to phrase it, right? We could, we could pick but to me, in some ways, there's no better test if you're trying to test an individual to tell them through Jesus, the Son of God, that that loving other people, you know, helping reduce suffering, compassion, kindness is what it is to be uh, what Jesus wants you to be. But then force them to live in a world where it's inevitable and it's all around them and they have to somehow live with that. Like that, in some ways, is the greatest test. If you can still maintain that view because it becomes so compelling and so easy to say, well, it's meaningless. Stop caring about the suffering. Find peace in the suffering. Like to actually view it for what it is, a horrific, ugly, horrible thing as far as we can tell it, but still have this faith that I have to accept it and I have to be okay with it. You know, that whole thing. Yeah. I, I can almost think of no greater test than that. Yeah. And so so I kind of I kind of get that. And I can all also get the idea that if somehow we can all buy into that, that, that mm -hmm. kingdom of heaven, or at least as you just explained it, that explosion and, and the thousands of houses and everybody's together, I could also follow that thread to say, I can imagine if we could all embrace it and pass that test, we could actually live in that world. And that's exactly yeah. what God's talking about. Yeah. The question I end on, though, is let's assume all that's true. I know we're just human. I know that we are just what we are. But imagine, and, and I don't say this to be crass or, or, or anything like that. I just say it, man. it's necessary. Imagine the most horrific thing you can imagine, a child, perhaps I have a child, you have our own children suffering in some deep, horrific way, whether that be through yeah. abuse or disease or whatever. The question I find myself asking is like, knowing what that is and how horrific it is, if if God had a choice to say, okay, we're going to do it this way and we're going to let it play out so we can get to this greater good, or you know what, I could just turn it off because mm -hmm. that suffering, having to see that child go through that, nothing is worth it, right? Mm -hmm. would, would you say turn it off? Like, is that the, is that the reasonable response? If the only choice is go through it, cause there's something better at the other end or just turn it off. Let's not do it at all. How do you respond to that? Yeah. Well, and I think in our humanity, we all would opt to turn it off. Like, why would I ever choose to go through suffering when there could be another way? God, can't there be another way? I've had moments in my life. My wife and I experienced two miscarriages and I had that conversation with God. God, I know you are capable of bringing my child back to life because scripture says you've done this before. Like, wouldn't this be the better path? Like imagine the doctors, if they see this baby who is dead 
come back yeah. to life and but just yeah even further than that even if we were to say where you were before that some of it is man-made and, and god mm-hmm. either doesn't want to for whatever reason step in because it's part of the overall yeah. thing even just to literally turn it off and say don't make anybody have to just turn off humanity yeah. turn off the universe yeah. put it all back in the darkness mm-hmm. and not have it so sorry just yeah. that concept of it yeah 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 so it's like what's what is the end goal here and what's the point of it if if there there's this life that's full of suffering but like it's working towards something yes. yeah so you know when you talk about a test it was interesting the first thing that came out of my mind is we almost have to ask what kind of a test are we assuming right so like there is it for a lot of christians the test is you better get like an a on this because it's like that's how high the bar is you actually got to get a hundred percent right which uh-huh. <laughs> like, nobody's nobody's getting that great um but it is this idea of uh, the higher you score, the better you are. And uh, I don't think that's the test that we're talking about. Actually, like it almost, I feel like scripture actually lends itself more to, you know, you know, there's class, there's classes that you took that you took because it was like pass fail. Yeah, <laughs> like yeah. if you just showed up and participated. And so I don't mean it in that simplistic of a way, but um, it's hard to make a case for the, you got to get a, a high, an A plus or above for folks like, the uh, the sinner on the cross beside Jesus, who his entire life was like stuff worthy of being thrown on a cross, as far as we can tell, uh, and he makes it to heaven. Well, I mean, <laughs> how did he pass that test? Um, you know, the Apostle Paul, like he, how do you offset all those failing grades? You get enough Fs, how are you going to suddenly, you know, get enough A's to get yourself to? You know, it's like, but. Uh, I feel like what scripture lends itself is to is not the idea that we got to figure this out and get it right and prove ourselves, but more the way I like to put it is it's not that I, uh, we have to be smart enough or spiritual enough or uh, capable enough or skilled enough. It's willing enough. Am I willing enough to seek God and my imperfection and whatever I'm doing now? Um, that's nice, but that doesn't address the reality of, well, why is God choosing to do it in this way where there's this suffering? And uh, you know this, but I just recently completed a one-year, 52-episode series focused on sitting and suffering. And most of the guests asked that kind of a question. God, why is it happening in this way? Like, why, why does it have to be this way? They asked that at the start of their journey. It was intriguing to me how many of them uh, on this end of the journey actually said, <laughs> um, if I could go, like if I had the option to flip a switch and eliminate that part of my life, all that suffering, I don't think I would flip it. Something, something happened in that space. And it wasn't just they became a better person. Like there was something deep, something spiritual, something that shifted their understanding of reality because the stuff that they went through is exceptionally hard, if not impossible to offset with like human logic. Like, You'd have to have the best life possible to offset the worst life that you experienced. So there is something different. And so I think part of our problem, part of my problem, is even in how we are understanding suffering in and of itself. Mm. All we have to go off of is what we see and what we experience and how it makes me feel, right? Um, But as you were talking, honestly, all I could think about is a friend of mine who... uh, in different parts of his life, he wrestled with addiction, um, still wrestles with alcoholism, um, but he's unsheltered. I've never known him to have a home. 
Um, and uh, I call him friend because we see each other on a daily basis. So he actually, I'll, I'll pick him up to go to the community Bible study. Um, you know, he sometimes will get food and he'll bring it over to the house and say, hey, do you want any of this? Like we, we have a legitimate friendship, but like I'm having on an almost daily basis to sit with him in the midst of his suffering. <laughs> um, and I have prayed for him. I have tried to get him housing. Like I've tried all kinds of things. And so much of the suffering not only hasn't been solved, but I don't see how it can be for a number of reasons that I won't get into. But mm. what, what clicked for me while you were talking is it can be really easy for me to just focus on the suffering. And this is what many Christians will do. Many ministries and churches will do. We'll just focus on the suffering. And in so doing, they stop seeing the person. Because the goal now is to eliminate the suffering or get the person out of the problem or the person is the problem and we need to change them. What I've come to realize, and this is what I feel like God's invited me to in the ministry that I do, is not to fix addiction or to fix uh, homelessness or to fix this, that, and the other. It's, yes, there is this suffering. There are people in the midst of the suffering. So how am I coming alongside them? How am I loving them? How am I sitting with them? Because what the apostle Paul says is I've learned the secret to being content in any situation, whether well-fed or poor. In other words, he's kind of naming their look like the, the way that this reality works is that there are all these different situations and circumstances. And when we focus on those, yeah, we're, we're going to struggle with contentment, but those actually aren't the ruling thing. Like those actually don't have to have the power that we think they do over us there is an ability to be content in the situation because there's actually a deeper reality than we realize. Mm -hmm. Again, great theology maybe, but if my child came down with cancer, I would be wrestling. I would be wrestling. I would have questions for God. Um, I would also have an opportunity to choose to accept invitation to keep staying at the table with him, yeah. to keep uh, trusting, even though it's, I don't even know what I'm trusting. And so all that to say, it is possible that from this vantage point with our human logic in this world, that we see all this suffering in the world and can't understand why this is a good idea and how this could be worth it. Meanwhile, there could be a reality that the thing that is offsetting it uh, is actually way bigger than mm -hmm. we know. It's like, a, you know, that seesaw, right? It's like, uh, Cause that's the only way that this could work. Like in our minds is like, it's, you know, children suffering. You better have some, something really good here. What if, what if he does? What if he does? And what if this world uh, is just a blip on the radar? Like, just like our childhood, like for you and me, like our childhood's a blip on the radar. When we were kids though, it was all we knew. And our suffering in childhood was immense. Like if somebody didn't give us dessert, if we didn't get to go to that place, if our favorite toy was lost, immense suffering. As adults, we look on that now and we're like, you could buy a new toy. You don't need, you don't need to get sugar into your system. <laughs> like you don't, you don't like we see our childhood way differently now as adults. And scripture hits at that as well. Like when I was a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. But now I, that I've grown, I see things in a different way. Um, this is this is where I land on this type of question. It's hard for me when I'm in the midst of the suffering, but I also am aware that there is a scenario in which I can't see things clearly now, but there is something clear to be seen mm. that eventually I will be able to perceive. Well, 
firstly, I'll say uh, I keep looking at the clock, praying if God does exist, thinking like just slow down time a little bit because I want to keep <laughs> on this. But <laughs> no. but I, I'll say um, I think this is why I think these conversations have to happen. It's what gives yeah. me such. I don't say this sound corny or cliche or anything like hope through the conversation I've had on this podcast, this one being a beautiful example of it is uh, there's something here that we are meant to be working through and figuring out and it's messy and it's complicated and our own human minds get in the way. And us doing this, I think is the progress towards it. And the more people I meet like you who speak of Christianity in this way, I think the more people that get to hear it, maybe it writes some of those past mistakes that have been made. Some of those things we talked about that led to where it is. And that gives me so much hope. And, and I don't say that in, in like a kumbaya, everything's great at the end of it, because although everything you just said, again, I think it's so beautiful and it and it's needed to progress this conversation yeah. very much in the vein of what you just said. There's still a part of me that can't accept the idea that that type of suffering, although there might be a greater good, that being not okay with it is ungodly, right? The idea mm. that if I say I refuse to accept that suffering, somehow I'm going against God, it may very well be true, but there's still a part of me. And if I'm being honest, not to get too convoluted in this, there's a part of me that says, maybe that is what God is asking of me. Like, that's what God wants. He wants you to not be okay with that, even though you have to be. Yeah. So it starts to get very convoluted, but yeah. I'll say this. I think the conversation is the conversation that I personally live for, and I hope other people get as much value out of it. And I think your knowledge is obviously at a level that's above most, but even beyond that is your desire to try and understand, to try and make sense, to try and be better, to try and love God and love other people when yeah. you started. And I thank you for that a ton. Yeah. Yeah. I appreciate that. And, you know, I'll say this, it kind of comes back to what we were talking about earlier about defending God. I think we're, Christians will often misstep in conversations like these is they feel like they have to go into them to defend God. Yeah. Uh, I was on a podcast with a guy named Michael who does the the Bible says what, and it's an atheist versus Christian podcast. Um, I've been on twice. He's been on mine. We've had great conversations, but I've also seen conversations in which people felt like Michael was the threat. Mike was the yeah. enemy yeah. or they felt like they had to fight for God to defend God. No, like, cause the, the questions that you're wrestling with, I've wrestled with similar questions, if not the exact questions throughout my life, we'll probably wrestle. The psalmist, my goodness, how often the psalmists are like, God, what are you doing? This makes mm -hmm. no sense. Why have you destroyed me? I am not okay with suffering. I cannot <laughs> accept, right? Like throughout scripture. And so what we're called to is not to love God and fight people for him. It's to love God and love others. This conversation, like we have the opportunity to love each other, to respect each other, to honor each other, to hear each other. And that's what I hope more people realize they can do. Mm -hmm. Like all of us can do this because it's as simple as just seeing somebody as worthy of respect and dignity. Mm -hmm. It's a beautiful way to end it. Well, thank you a ton for being on for everything you do. And I hope you have an awesome rest of your day. Thank you. You too. All right. Hey, thanks a ton for listening to the episode. Um, I really do appreciate everybody that listens. And I think it's super cool that people want to hear conversations like this. They want to hear us talk about values and different perspectives and really just philosophical thinking. Um, I'm kind of on this mission or journey to bring philosophy back to the forefront, maybe even make philosophy cool again, because I just think there's so much value in thinking about our thinking, questioning and challenging ourselves more, pondering these big picture questions about life. Um, so in that spirit, I'm trying to expand that mission a little bit, and I created a Patreon account 
um, that would be awesome if you check out. Uh, put the link in the show notes. Uh, it's pretty simple, though. It's patreon.com slash what's the value. And the idea is for people that maybe want to learn more about philosophy, dip their toe in it a little bit, or maybe you already love it and just want to get more of it, um, check it out because there's kind of a tier for everybody, whether you just want to get like a quick philosophical video or a thought of the day. Um, maybe you want to email or text me some questions and get some thoughtful philosophical responses. Or if you want to have a live one-on-one chat over Zoom, um, we're even doing group discussions where we kind of do group philosophical debates and discussions and ponder some of those big questions. So check it out, see if it's something you might be interested in. Uh, as I said, I just love to bring more philosophy into our lives and I thought this might be a cool way to do it. Um, whether that's your thing or not, and you're into Patreon or not, I really do appreciate a ton that you listen and check out these episodes. So I appreciate it greatly and I hope you have an awesome day.